Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. This was the week where risk-taking sentiment hung on one company's earnings report, the one Goldman referred to as, quote, the most important stock on planet Earth, unquote. The good news, for all of you that are long credit, is that NVIDIA and its declaration that we are at AI's tipping point in terms of demand for its systems delivered what the market needed to hear. Stock markets in the U.S., Pan-Europe, Germany, France, Japan, along with MSCI's World Index, hit record highs. Oh, and credit spreads tightened. This week, our three things are, one, commercial real estate threat to banks. We'll provide some much-needed facts. Two, shifting to slowdown. Here's how corporate earnings growth is impacted. And three, private credit borrowers. Aries' description is useful context. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Commercial real estate threat to banks. Now couple a cyclical threat with a secular one and you've got our attention. And that of investors and bankers and regulators and policymakers. Such is the case with the latest Paul hanging over commercial real estate. Cyclically, anytime you have interest rates engineered by central banks to be artificially low, the economics of long-term assets like real estate are going to be distorted. So yes, having had years of ultra-low rates, we now have pockets of overbuilt property markets. No surprise there. The secular change, of course, is changes to how we use certain types of commercial real estate. We've been thinking about that with regard to retail properties ever since the rise of online shopping became a thing. And now, of course, post-pandemic, we wonder how to dimension the impact of work from anywhere on the office sector. The question is, broadly speaking, could losses in commercial real estate, driven by refinancing risks stemming from higher interest rates and reduced secular demand for some property types, become a systemic issue to the banking system or to the economy? Let's start with the banking system. There is lots of misinformation out there driven by a rush to publish views by opinion makers, be it journalists, sell-side shops, or academic researchers. All are guilty. Here are some facts. Banks are big lenders on CRE, but collectively they account for just 38% of the $4.6 trillion of loans to the sector, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. Sources well regarded by some have put this number at 70%. Simply not true. Here are some guidelines to remember when dimensioning the risk. 1. Owning up to the problem. Press reports suggest banks have been under-reserving for known risks in their CRE loan portfolios, ostensibly to hit earnings targets or maybe just out of delusion. Here's the reality. The IRS has a say as to how much banks can reserve. Banks cannot simply sock away whatever it wants to its loan loss reserve in an effort to make this issue go away. Provisions to the loan loss reserves must be justified in real time or else the IRS would view this as sheltering income from taxes. Banks are regulated. Though far from perfect, banker risk ratings and valuations are reviewed and adjusted by regulators. It's not easy to hide problems, not in this country. Two. Patience, please. CRE losses take a while to materialize and bleed out over time. The process typically includes a restructuring of terms and, if warranted, a lengthy period of collateral liquidation. Post the GFC, CRE losses bled out over four years. 
And three, useful context. Banks have three lines of defense against loan losses, earnings, loan loss reserves, and capital. A widely quoted working paper published by the National Bureau of Economic Research back in December uses a default rate forecast of 10 to 20% for all commercial real estate in this cycle. We think that is high, as the NBER uses as its guide the 30-plus delinquency rate peak of 9% on all CRE in the GFC as its guidepost. The GFC, a.k.a. the Great Recession, had much greater economic destruction for years than what anyone is contemplating in this go-around. In any event, let's take the midpoint, 15%, of the NBER's probability of default range and use their recovery given default forecast of 70%. That gives what we estimate to be a 4.5% cumulative loss rate on CRE. Now, let's spread that out over three years. That comes to $26 billion pre-tax hit per year to banks' first line of defense earnings. Well, how big is that? We figure banks are expected to earn $300 billion pre-tax in 2024. So we're talking about a 9% hit to earnings. That's not something to get all that energized about. And that, by the way, squares up with the 86 basis points return on assets forecast in 2024 by Keith Brietton Woods in their regional bank index. That 86 basis point return compares to 94 basis points the industry earns on average. In other words, it's not a big deal when we're talking about systemic risk to the economy. All right, on to our second thing, shifting to slowdown. I know, I know, you're tired of hearing about the threat of the long and variable lagged effects of monetary tightening. After all, it's been just about two years since the fastest hiking cycle in 40 years commenced, and we've been growing at twice the rate of the Fed's longer-term estimate for the U.S. So what am I worried about? Well, the lagged effects clearly have taken longer to bite than what has been typical in past cycles for a variety of reasons. But we remain firmly in the camp that monetary tightening does slow growth. You can't tell me that 7% mortgages, 11% middle market loans, and 24% credit card rates won't eventually leave a mark. We're not here to debate that, at least not this week. We'd rather talk about corporate earnings growth, that which underpins every asset class and credit. Unlike consumers, where some meaningful percentage are delusional about their ability to spend when the cycle turns, businesses tend to be more grounded, more pragmatic, maybe because they're reliant on the vagaries of capital markets and banks in order to finance their growth. So we've been through the earnings recession, mild as it was, caused largely by inflated costs that exceeded inflated income. Now we're coming out of it. The question really is, coming out of it into what exactly? Well, into the growth trough that figures to lean on the top line. That should put pressure on margins, which in turn pushes managements to be cautious on costs. So how are these colliding forces faring? Well, the top line for the equal weighted S&P 500 is expected to be up 3% in 2024, with earnings growth coming in at 5%. To get there, we picked up these tidbits. Firms are talking on earnings calls about cost control and resource reallocation more than ever, according to Morgan Stanley. We've talked in the past about how this slowdown has been as well telegraphed as any, and that has allowed managements to implement cost control strategies. And that should dampen the effects of slowdown. And sure enough, EBIT margins are expected to expand in 2024 from 10% in 2023 up to 13%. 
and that gives us comfort that positive earnings growth is possible. The resource reallocation story is about redirecting spend into technology in order to enhance further productivity. There, I worked NVIDIA into this bit. I'd say further because surging productivity is happening, and it's helped keep growth elevated and unemployment low in the face of monetary tightening. At the end of the day, proactive measures by managements, thoughtfully cutting costs and achieving greater productivity through enhancing technology are important elements in keeping this soft landing soft. All right, on to our third thing, private credit borrowers. We read through the transcript of a fireside chat between Craig Siegenthaler of Bank of America and Mike Araghetti, co-founder and CEO of alternative asset giant Ares Management. Mr. Araghetti made a credible case in laying out the type of companies that Ares lends to, this coming at a time when many are wondering just how risky this latest iteration of private credit is. He starts with the logical opportunity set. 30 million small to mid-sized businesses in the U.S., 18,000 of which have revenue in excess of $100 million. The average EBITDA margin in Aries' book is 20 to 25%, so think of the opportunity set for private credit to be those 18,000 companies producing EBITDA of, call it, $25 million. In Aries' U.S. portfolio, the average EBITDA is $150 million, and the median is 50 to $60 million. By Mr. Araghetti's estimation, Ares is doing business with the top 1% or maybe half of 1% of middle market companies in terms of size and sophistication. Not surprisingly, he takes issue with those that suggest private credit lenders like Ares are taking what he calls profligate risk. He goes on to point out that the loan to value in his portfolio is 43% and that private credit's model of long duration, unlevered, match funded pools of capital is a prudent way to fund the middle market. Not every lender in private credit will be as advantaged as Aries, but the points Mr. Araghetti makes are valid and should make investors and policymakers comfortable that this model is sensible and represents positive evolution in the capital markets. So there you have it, three things in credit. One, commercial real estate threat to banks. There will be losses over time. The likelihood that this poses a systemic threat to the economy is unlikely. Two, shifting to slowdown. Management's efforts to control costs and invest in productivity-enhancing technology is cushioning the blow. And three, private credit borrowers. Risk and reward at the advantaged lenders are aligned. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and our latest research. See you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.